Help us, gracious Lord, to walk in the path of your love. Amen. There was a notoriously callous businessman who said, One day I intend to go to Mount Sinai and read the Ten Commandments there, just as Moses did. Reportedly, Mark Twain responded, We would all much prefer that you stayed here and keep them. <laughs> and that's the tension with these ten sayings that God gives to Moses. We hold them in high esteem, but that's about all. You've heard about the fights to put plaques of these up in schools and courthouses, but when a child cheats on a test, rarely does the detention slip read, breaking the Eighth Commandment and stealing answers. Nor does a judge ever dismiss a divorce case by saying, well, the defendant violated the Seventh Commandment against adultery, and this case is dismissed. When given the chance to put these words into practice, many fall short. And even when it comes to knowing the content of these supposedly central tenets of our faith, one survey found that Americans are more likely to be able to list the ingredients of a Big Mac than they can name the Ten Commandments. Now, my hope in this sermon is not that you are able to memorize these ten. You can easily look them up. But I do hope that we will think a little bit differently about them. Now, names matter. If we call these the Ten Commandments, we've already begun to interpret them. Commandments are something to follow. But Scripture does not call them commandments. Rather, they are a part of the Torah, which means the teaching. Instead of calling these the Ten Commandments, we would do better to call them the Ten Teachings, or the Ten Words, as they are often referred to in Judaism. Reading these as commandments turns them into things that we do or not, things that we feel bad for ignoring, measuring sticks that we will often come up short against, another burden to worry about. But these words are not rules or regulations given by a demanding God. No, they are gracious teachings intended to lead us into flourishing and abundance. These teachings help us to more fully love God, love our neighbor, and love ourselves, which puts us in better alignment with the God who is love. Through these ten words, God is teaching us about the life that is worth living. And it all begins with the statement, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God does not say, I saved you and now you owe me, and you play by my rules. No, these words begin with God reminding the people that they are in a relationship with one another. It's not, I am the Lord, but I am the Lord your God. Not, I'm in charge, obey me, but I'm the one who chose you, who loves you to the end, who saved you, brought you into freedom, and I want nothing more than for you to thrive in this freedom. Which begs the very important question around which the rest of the Old Testament orbits. 
What is freedom? As Americans, we are probably more obsessed with freedom than even these newly liberated Hebrew people were. And just like them, we misunderstand and misapply our freedom, with the result that we end up being enslaved to the very idea of being free. Freedom is not about the ability to do whatever you want. And if we want to go with that definition, we will never be free. I am not free to live in the 18th century. I am not free to be six feet tall. I am not free to have the sun rise in the west and set in the east. I'm not even free to change my thoughts or my interests. Sure, I can try to change some habits, but I can't control what I think or what I'm passionate about. I can do my best not to act on my desires and impulses, but I am not free to choose not to have them any longer. Freedom, some might say, is merely the illusion of control in a world that is uncontrollable. Now, biblically speaking, freedom is not the ability to do whatever we want. Rather, freedom is being able to live as God intends. Freedom is about the being free from the restraints that prevent us from knowing, loving, and serving God. And this is especially the case when one of those restraints put on us is our warped view of freedom and choice. If we think that freedom is being about pursuing our desires, then we end up chasing something that is as real as the mist. And what we chase after, typically these are not good, healthy, or holy things, leaving us enslaved to some idea or image, or as the second of these teachings call it, an idol. Instead of freedom being something that we possess and use for our own distorted purposes, we would do well to understand freedom as the liberation that we have been given by God to live as the creatures we were made to be. These ten teachings are intended to usher us into that sense of freedom. Now these ten teachings, they come in chapter 20 of Exodus, pretty early in the story. The people have been liberated from Egypt, fed with manna in the wilderness, and given water from a rock to drink. And that's it. They've not yet entered into the promised land. They've not been given instructions for how to build the temple. So we might read this as God taking care of things in order. First, they need to get out of Egypt. Second, they need to be kept alive. And then the very next order of business is that they need to be taught about what freedom is all about. Because without understanding how to use and enjoy this liberation, we quickly end up enslaved to something else. There's a story that comes out of 1989 Romania, just after there was an uprising there in which the president was ousted. And the people had a newfound sense of freedom from all the oppressions that they had been under. But when a reporter found someone on the street and asked them about this situation, the person responded with a truth, not only about what was happening there and then, but about the entire human predicament. The person said, we have freedom, but we don't know what to do with it. Total freedom is just another way of saying anarchy and relativism. 
Total freedom in the way that we generally think of freedom means that there can be no truth and there can be no order. That sort of freedom run amok, which so many people in our country seem to want, is just chaos by another name. Chaos is that which God brought order to in the beginning of creation. So for us to reject that order in the sense of doing whatever we want is to reject God. So really for us as people of faith, it might be best if we struck the word freedom from our vocabulary because we just so often misunderstand what that means. Instead, we can speak about liberation and that makes it clear that someone else has done the liberating and that our liberation has a purpose and a direction. Instead of being the utter chaos of everyone chasing after their own desires sort of freedom that we so often idolize. And so before the people arrive in a new land, before they start to set up cities, governments, and a temple, before they establish rituals, norms, and customs, God wants to give a shape to their liberation so that it can be directed towards true freedom, which is found only by serving and being aligned to God. That's the purpose of these 10 teachings. They are not arbitrary rules. They are not good advice. They are not helpful hints for better living. They are what we mean by true freedom. Now, the first three are all concerned with not trivializing or ignoring God. We are not to follow other gods. These could be things like power, prestige, wealth, all the markers of success. And even good things can become a false god. Family, vocation, serving those in need. These are gifts from God and they are good, yes. But those things cannot be our God. Nor are we to make an idol out of God, including, it says, anything that is in heaven above. Meaning that religion and theology can easily become false gods. When it comes to God, any time that we have more answers than questions, more certainty than mystery, well, that tells us that we are following a God of our own making instead of the God who liberates us. Nor are we to use God's name wrongly, meaning for our purposes. We do not invoke God's name as a way of saying God is on our side. Rather, we should ask ourselves, are we oriented towards God or not? And these are the first three of the teachings, because if we are not in a right relationship with God, the rest of it falls apart quickly. Imagine a solar system without a sun. Well, nothing can hold together without that center that gives warmth and light and mass. True freedom is not about getting to choose your own orbit or your own light source. True freedom is realizing that we orbit around God. The fourth teaching is about not making gods out of ourselves. The teaching to rest is about having time dedicated to God, yes, but just as importantly, it is the recognition that we have been liberated, meaning we don't serve anyone else. Anyone or anything that demands all seven days of our week is a false god. 
and we will end up serving that person, idea, or thing. Not to mention, just as we all need sleep to be our healthiest, we also need Sabbath rest if we are to flourish as God intends. The final six teachings are about our relationships with our neighbors, recognizing that because we are not God, we have limits and boundaries that we should not transgress. The teaching about honoring our parents, that's not about nominating them for a Parent of the Year Award. Some parents are lousy. This is not a commandment that says, well, you just have to ignore that and treat them as if they actually were good parents. No, it's a teaching that reminds us that we are contingent beings, that none of us created ourselves. None of us gives ourselves an inheritance. None of us get to choose who we are or when we were born. We receive being as a gift. And that's what this fifth teaching is pointing us towards. Because if we forget that, and we are so deluded as to think that we are our own masters, then there's no way for us to be in a healthy relationship with others. As for the rest of these teachings, again, if we give in to our desires when it comes to vengeance, lust, possessions, wealth, or reputation, not only do we destroy our relationship with others, but then we become enslaved to our passions. For one, God desires us to live in beloved community. And beloved community cannot exist where murder, theft, and lying run rampant. If we don't know what the word enough means when it comes to intimate partners, possessions, or prestige, then we can never be satisfied with the enoughness that God gives us to rest in. If we pursue every desire to get more, then we are not living as liberated people, but are enslaved. In the midst of our stewardship efforts, it has to be pointed out that giving your money to the church and charities is a part of what this gospel liberation is all about. The practice in our household is to give 5% of our income every year to St. Luke's and then another 5% to other charitable organizations that we want to support. Now, is that enough to redeem my relationship with money? Hardly. No, the false gods of account balances, materialism, and capitalism, they still entice me. But we give as a part of our response of thanksgiving, and we give as a statement of our intention to be liberated from the allure of always getting more. At their core, these 10 teachings are a gracious gift from God that allow us to walk the way of true freedom. These are not commandments used to judge us. They are not rules that will determine if we get blessings or punishments. They are not burdens that restrict us. Rather, they are teachings about the way of love that allow us to become a people that look and act like Jesus. They assure us of the blessing of having God as our God instead of trying to find our own. They comfort us with the assurance that the world does not continue to spin on its axis because of our hard work, but rather because of God's loving care. They give a blessed shape to our relationships so that we can enjoy beloved community. 
instead of constantly climbing over one another in the never-ending and never-satisfying quest for more. Sometimes in Rite 1, we recite these 10 words at the opening of our liturgy, and there's a response that we use as we say them to paraphrase, Lord, have mercy upon us and incline our hearts to keep these teachings. We always ask for mercy because we will fall short, but that's okay because we were never going to be measured against these teachings. Instead, these teachings are like blazings on the trail, markings on the highway. They are intended to guide us on the way of love. Lord, have mercy upon us and incline our hearts to these, your liberating and life-giving teachings. Amen.